This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by FingerTech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out FingerTech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. FingerTech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. on the upper deck can someone please help us this is behind the bots the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind battle bots i'm chris 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 i'm luke 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 i'm Lindsay, 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 Lindsay. and i'm kyle 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 kyle, kyle. <laughs> and today on the podcast our interview with hot leaf juice captain lucy dew we'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of robots around the world if you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have five news items for you today. First up, we're traveling to North Carolina, where Slamo Captain Craig Danby revealed that he's working on a new and improved version of Apex, the horizontal spinner that he took to Robot Wars in Series 9 and 10. In a post on Facebook, Craig showed off what appeared to be a three-wheeled design with pivoting legs and omni-wheels. Check out photos on the Team Danby page. On over to eBay, where several teams are auctioning off battle damage parts on the site this week. Madcatter is auctioning off the top plate that it ran in its battle last week with Sawblaze. As of Monday night, bidding for the top plate stood at $365, with the auction ending on Wednesday. Meanwhile, Malice Captain Bunny Sariel is auctioning off a battle-damaged aluminum 6061 backplate, complete with a merch prize pack. Bidding on that item stood at $305, with bidding also ending on Wednesday. The team behind Whiplash is auctioning off five different autographed armor panels, with bidding currently standing at between $53 and $81 per item. Bidding there ends on Friday. And finally, Tombstone Captain Ray Billings is auctioning off three autographed wheels from his robot, which stood at between $110 and $165 each as of Monday night. Those auctions will end on Saturday. Speaking of malice and merch, the team is getting in on the limited edition commemorative t-shirt game this season, releasing a new shirt this week made specifically for its match against Jackpot. Shirts cost between $25 and $37 each, depending on which shirt you choose. Check out the link on the team's Facebook page. And finally, the team behind Huge this week released a papercraft tutorial encouraging fans to build their own miniature model of Huge out of paper. Check out the link on the team's Facebook page. And that's it for this week's news. Now, before we get into our interview with Lucy, it's time yet again for Snap Decisions, where we make ill-informed predictions about this week's fight card and score them against your ill-informed predictions. Last week, we had 87 people participate in Snap Decisions, 
a whopping, painful, very large 31 out of 87 people managed to call seven out of seven fight night fights correctly, which speaks to perhaps the somewhat one-sidedness of last week's fight card. Uh, In alphabetical order, because I've promised to read every single one, (laughs) those 31 people are Austin Brady, Brian Bunch, B is for BattleBots Illustrator, Caleb Kempson, Cameron Hutton, Chris Horry, Craig LeBlanc, Daniel Palmer, David Gable, David Porlier, Devin Huey, Drew Willis, Eddie Friend, Greg Holiday, Heather Stringfellow, Jesse Mullen, Joel Warren, Josh Kubiak, our friend Lindsay Yuriko, Martin Zietz, Matthias Przwozniak, Matt Hedger, Matthew Cahoy, Megan Jane, Michael Priest, Rob Turner, Sammy Bendali, Sean Peterson, Sebastian A.S., Skylar Gallant, Stephanie Spooner, and Zach Mueller. The easiest fight to call last week was a tie between Ribot versus Overhaul and Lucky versus Tantrum, with 85 out of 87 people correctly predicting that Ribot and Tantrum would win. The hardest match to predict was the main event, with 52 out of 88 people predicting that Sawblaze would win. Now, before we get into this week's predictions, I want to take a pause and get your thoughts on episode four. We saw the BattleBots debut of our first ever bot from South Korea, Orbi Blade. We saw a strange and somewhat controversial double incapacitation between Tombstone and Mammoth. We saw total domination by Sawblaze in the main event against Mad Catter, and two back-to-back demonstrations of sportsmanship from Lucky and Ghost Raptor that ultimately cost both bots their matches. Uh, I would love to get your thoughts here, Kyle, Chris, Lindsay. I would say the episode was predictable, but none of us got it right. (laughs) Not one of us. Uh, yes, that's true. I think uh, you and Chris, uh, let's see, Chris, Lindsay, and Kyle, uh, the three of you, you got uh, five out of the seven correct, if I'm remembering correctly. We'll have to run that by our independent fact checker that we had to hire for you, but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll follow up next week. I personally thought that uh, that this episode was fun. It was full of squash matches. Um, sorry for my constant comparisons between you know combat robotics and professional wrestling but sometimes to put over your big stars you book a bunch of matches with them with uh with jobbers with uh you know some some newer talent or folks that are just coming up in the uh in the in the industry and uh you make the matches real quick and real brutal and uh that's just to make them look more powerful for when you're actually Having those big matches later on down the line, that this ma- this was a lot of that. It was a lot of like uh, putting really experienced teams and overpowered teams against like newer teams or teams still trying to get their stuff figured out for this year. Uh, some of it just wasn't fair. Some of it just wasn't fair at all. But it was fun. I enjoyed watching all of it. And from what I understand, Orby got a really nice lobster dinner out of it. So that's cool. Why a lobster dinner? Uh, well, because Chuck and uh, the Zach and Diana are all friends. Um, they've competed against each other before in Korea. He invited them there. And uh, so Zach and Diana took him out to dinner after that match. And uh, he ordered the lobster <laughs> as a, yeah, as a, as a revenge. <laughs> Good for him. I have to say I was I've been so, so, so excited to see Blade, um, you know, we didn't get to see it last year and I've been waiting this year 
And I feel like we didn't necessarily get to see it at its full capacity. Um, and I'm really hoping that they fix, you know, whatever kinks were going on, any teething issues that they were having for, you know, what, what, what will be their second fight. Um, I'm because it, it's just so visually striking. It's such a, a very cool looking bot. And I think it's awesome. I I thought his interview was so cute when he was like, I'm way too nervous to drive this. My wife is a professional, I think he said cello player. She's used to, um, you know, performing like under pressure with her motor skills and he had her drive. I thought that was such an interesting um, little tidbit. And the bot didn't get to drive the way that I, I, I think that it can Maybe there is, you know, some something going on with the bot there, but I'm really hoping for its next match, you know, we, we get to see what it can do. One of the kind of small controversies this week was around whether Scorpio should have continued to engage Blade. I actually didn't think anything was wrong in that that fight at all. Um, does anybody have thoughts on that? I don't know. Like, this is combat robotics. Like, you, you want your match to go the full three minutes, and if your opponent wants to, like, they can call over the the barrier at any time for you know for the match to stop or they could put down their their controller right i mean um i don't know i just felt like that was a controversy that just really shouldn't have happened this week yeah zach covered this pretty well when he said that when you're facing a bot like um orby or like blade you cannot give them the benefit of the doubt like Hit them until they tell you to stop or until you can see for sure they are dead. Otherwise, they will wreck you. Um, so if anything, that was that was showing a lot of respect for Chuck and his bot because, man, that is a scary machine. And you do not want to let that thing get up to speed under any circumstances if you're going to win that fight. So uh, that's just experience in my mind. And that's just uh, them giving respect where it is due to a very dangerous and very powerful bot. I agree with that completely. And I think like the other factor at stake is this is still a TV show. And, you know, if you incapacitate them immediately and then back off, you know, there's not much of a fight there. Kind of like uh, thinking to the YouTube exclusive that was a retrograde and rampage. I mean, retrograde just decimated rampage. And I think it was like one hit. You know, there's not much to see there. There's, I mean, obviously it was like great for retrograde, but there, like there wasn't an, if every fight was like that on television, I don't think there would be much of a show. Um, and so it might seem to like any layman watching that like, oh, these like very aggressive drivers keep going and, you know, thinking to the Jameson or to the uh, Sawblaze and Mad Catter fight, people are saying that he was, like, too aggressive. But, like, that's the show. That's, that's like, how you keep having fights that don't end immediately. Because um, then you, you don't really have a show anymore. And and it's, it's still to the point that you were saying, Kyle, where, like, if you don't keep going and you assume that they're dead, they could still come back and get you. So you, like, you have to make sure they're in the ground <laughs> before you walk away. I mean, part of that is probably earlier in the season, it's more about I want to show what I can do. But like when it comes to that war of attrition later in the bracket where maybe parts are running low, um, you know, you're you, you, you get a bot that gets, uh, you know, your opponent's off kilter. You get them high walled somewhere or something. 
you see a lot less of people that are being friendly and willing to help out the other bot that late in the season. But here, it's all about making a name for yourself, so you get the you know that that seed placement that you want, and and uh, you know you're ready to go into the finals, you know, with with all that weight behind you. Yeah, you don't want to give the selection committee any reason to doubt that you belong in you know the round of 32, and then you're really vying for the best seed at that point. So you don't want to just kind of play it safe. You really want to show what you can do, so that way you get a better position and you know, ideally qualify at the, uh, at the end of the season. You know, speaking of, of incapacitation, I, I think this is a good segue into the kind of simultaneous incapacitation between uh, Mammoth and Tombstone. Um, I, I was able to talk to one of the team members on Mammoth uh, earlier today, and they said that it was uh, this, this kind of double incapacitation was, was reshot. So um, initially it was Mammoth that was counted out. Tombstone was not being counted out at the same time. And um, it was only after the, the, the count out had happened that the referees talked to one another and then they decided to reshoot it to make it a simultaneous uh, incapacitation. Um, and Mammoth was showing some motion um, during that countout. So I would love to get your thoughts on that. Um, is this a bad call from the refs? Um, is this a mistake on the show's part? I don't think that it would have really changed the the outcome of the match. I mean, unless Tombstone was just counted out um, by itself. But uh, would love love to get your thoughts. I, I have the exact text here from uh, from Bryce, who's one of the team members on Mammoth. Um, he says, while the judges deliberated, they filmed the simultaneous countdown just for TV to make it clear for viewers what was extremely unclear in the moment. The judges rightly cited for Tombstone. Clearly, he had done more damage. And since we were both fully sending it weapon to weapon at every opportunity, the control and aggression were even. So um, sounds like confusing TV moment, but uh, but they they wanted to make it. Make it right. Make it uh, make it seem more equitable for the actual final cut. I don't know. Uh, doesn't seem too terribly controversial to me. The same decision would have been met either way. So yeah, I think the only interesting thing was um, if so. It looked like Mammoth had regained some level of movement during the countdown. Um, whether it's controlled movement or not, it was a little hard to tell because it happened like five seconds into the 10 second count out. Um, but what I think was a little, it's a little puzzling and not just in this match, but like across the show, um, an uneven application of the rules, like when a bot should be considered immobilized and counted out versus when you should give it, you know, some more time to kind of figure out what it's doing. Um, I've seen bots before that seemed a lot more immobilized than Mammoth be given a lot more time to kind of figure out if it can move or not. Um, so I think that's the only thing that seemed a little bit weird about this match was it was a little, it, it seemed like they were quicker to call out Mammoth for not moving than they have been to call out other people who were less mobile. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I get that it's, like, very subjective and that this is a human sport and um, it's hard. It's very hard to, like, consistently apply the rules in every single case. But, like, that is one thing that stood out to me. Um, yeah. 
And it, it seemed like both bots, it, it seemed like Tombstone was, was definitely more immobile than Mammoth was in that moment. Well said, Lindsay. I totally agree. Um, I, I know that we had also talked um, offline about kind of these good shows of sportsmanship that ultimately cost Ghost Raptor and Lucky their matches, um, you know, helping their opponents out from the corners, from these kind of short corners. Um, in the case of Tantrum, helping Tantrum down off of the rail. Um is this just clever TV editing or were these mistakes on the parts of Lucky and Ghost Raptor, you know, um, especially, you know, as we talk about kind of the uh, the Scorpios and Blade match and wanting to put on a good TV show? I don't think that these were uh, fancy editing or anything. I mean, the story was told, I think, as the story happened. Um and I think that it's pretty common in this culture, right, for there to be good sportsmanship, especially in these early fight card matches, you know, that kind of goes away once you start getting into the round of 32 and the round of 16. Um, and when it doesn't, that that ends up in some hilarious consequences. But yeah, I, this was good all the way around. I thought this uh, this really shined a good light on the sport, on these competitors, um, all all the way around. Kyle, I, I I can I can remember it. It's burned into my memory. You know, malice uh, sitting on its back and just baking in the sun. And and what what was it? Mad Catter, I believe. You know, sitting there just could nudge it over if it wanted to, and uh, just just let malice die in the middle of the arena. Um, you know, like. Lucky could have let Tantrum die on the rail. Uh, Ghost Raptor could have let Glitch die under the rail. You know, like, um, why do we give Mad Catter a pass for that? But we don't, um, you know, and then we just say like, oh, yeah, this is this is just common, I guess, for, for these two matches. Well, it, it happens. You know what I mean? Like, um, I don't think there's any any shame in making the choice not to help out your opponent. There's also no shame in uh, in helping your opponent. Also, it doesn't always work out well, right? Sometimes you're Mammoth and you ask Hypershock to help you out with one more hit and they destroy like $2,000 worth of batteries. And the other thing is like, if you don't help out your opponent, again, kind of going back to what I was saying before, uh, uh, Lucky had tan- uh, Tantrum tied up in the first 30 seconds uh, with basically, what was it? One one flip, I think. Um if they had left it at that, you know, they're not giving the selection committee a whole lot to work with in terms of judging, you know, how um, fit they are for the final 32. So if you are going in and you believe in your bot and you believe in your ability to win, you are going to unstick them because you want to show the selection committee that, oh, this is not a fluke. You know, I can go back and I can keep doing this again and again and again. Um, so I think on, it's not only good sportsmanship, but it also shows a level of confidence in your bot that, um, you know, I, I think says a lot. Well said, Lindsay. Um, thoughts on the main event? I loved it. Uh, Sableys and Mad Catter, um, I guess before we jump into our snap decisions for the week. What? <laughs> Boring. <laughs> Um, okay, I'm going to go first because as anyone who listens to the show knows, Sawblaze is my favorite bot always and forever. Um, and I also just adore Mad Catter and, and everything about it. And so this was 
I was feeling really conflicted going into this because of just how much I love both bots. But I, I don't think you could you could script a more entertaining, incredible match. I mean, it was very one-sided, which I, uh, to be honest, I was not expecting. I was confident that Sawblaze was going to win. I didn't think it was going to be quite the walloping that it was. I mean, it just, it was, uh, it was crazy, but oh my God, that was like, that was like what, you know, BattleBots is, I think at its finest is just, a bot that has, I think, like fully realized itself, um, demonstrating what it can do against a top-notch bot that is incredible. I mean, there, there's, it was just, it was incredible. I was like standing and shouting and cheering the whole time, but then also covering my eyes at points because it was like so destructive. <laughs> I don't know. It was so amazing. And it was, it's like everything that you want out of Sawblaze. And I think Sawblaze is everything that you want out of BattleBots. So what more could you ask for? What do you think? <laughs> All right, let's uh, jump into this week's predictions. Um, now, I, I do have something very exciting. We have a new addition this week. Uh, we're going to be introducing unofficial rankings from our own resident statistician and good friend of the pod, Gil Hova. Gil maintains our stats database at Norwalk Havoc and has used a similar metric to build a ranking method for BattleBots. Uh, I would say also as an aside, Greg, if you're listening, Gil has found some errors in the BattleBots.com stats. So uh, if you'd like to get those fixed, uh, reach out to us and we'll connect you with Gil. Um, Okay, on to our first fight of the night. Number 41 ranked free shipping versus number 18 ranked uppercut. Uh, Really interesting stat here from Gil. The average free shipping fight lasts 171 seconds, while the average uppercut fight lasts just 101 seconds. So uh, fast matches versus long matches. Kyle, I would love to, uh, to get your prediction here. Do you think this will be a fast match? Will this be a slow match? Who will come out on top? All right, so who do I think is going to come out on top of this match? Uppercut. Um, why? Because free shipping always puts on amazing fights, uh, but uppercut is, is more likely to win in any given battle, especially this one. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be over pretty quick. I think it's going to be uppercut and I think there's going to be a lot of fire intentional and otherwise. Mm, Good thinking. Lindsay, Chris, your prediction? Uh, I don't think this one will be going 171 seconds. I think this will bring free shipping's average down, and I think it will be a loss for them. I foresee Uppercut uh, having the upper hand in this one. Hmm. Chris? Hmm. Uh, Well, I will say that this is likely going to be an Uppercut victory. Um. And I think it's going to last 101 seconds. There we go. Okay. Chris, let's stay with you for the next match of the night. A little hammer on hammer action in number 46 ranked Blacksmith versus number 22 ranked Shatter. Is it though? <laughs> uh, what? Hammers? Is it a little hammer on hammer action? Yeah. Power hammer are we, versus Are we a... using that term? <laughs> yeah. Power hammer versus a conventional hammer. Yeah, sure. I know that this is just an audio podcast, but there is air quotes in there for the power hammer. But yes. Okay. So, (laughs) um, (laughs) all right. So what we have is a a very uh, resilient, um, nearly indestructible bot 
blacksmith with its new uh, recently debuted uh, vertical spinning attachment appendage weapon, let's call it, uh, versus Shatter, a, uh, a bot that can kind of move in any direction. It's it's proven that its hammer is firing reliably. I I don't know. This is uh, this is really interesting because um, I feel like blacksmith has the armor that is required to kind of withstand that onslaught from shatter if shatter is to lose its hammer attachment it's really kind of done for i think blacksmith might also win in that push and pull so i'm actually gonna give this one to blacksmith mm, interesting kyle your thoughts you know i i have to agree with chris I think this one's going to go to Blacksmith just because Blacksmith is now capable of inflicting more damage. And we've seen what it takes to get through that top plate on Blacksmith. And it is a lot. It is a lot. Um, This is going to be an awesome fight, but yeah, it's going to go to Blacksmith. Interesting. Lindsay, your thoughts. Well, geez, now I feel like I have to say shatter because someone has to say shatter. I don't want to discount it, but for all of the reasons that everyone has said, and I do think a a power saw or sorry, <laughs> sorry, a power hammer is is going to be more effective than a regular hammer. Um, I also feel compelled to say blacksmith, um, but I feel bad because I feel like. I feel like most people are going to say shatter for this and they might be right, mm. but I'm saying blacksmith and I'm sticking to it. Okay. Lindsay, let's stick with you. Uh, the unranked German multibot Jaeger versus the number 48 ranked P1. Listen, if this was Jaeger in its, you know, full form and he had his whole team and it, it, he had it the way, you know, that he wanted to go into this season, you know, with the bot, bots plural like ready the way that he anticipated i think it would be a different conversation but p1 is really dialed in this year and i'm saying p1 okay chris your thoughts on this fight yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna agree i think p1's got you know a little bit of that scoop and driving game that's going to be needed to corral uh jaeger I, 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 yeah, I'm going to give this one to the driver. Okay. Kyle, as our resident contrarian, are you uh, going to be going with Jaeger? No way, man. Uh, the, Brandon Zelensky has got P1 dialed in like crazy. And Jaeger, I mean, due to no fault of their own, uh, is dealing with just really difficult circumstances this season anyway, much less the new bot, multi bot downsides that are already there, right? I mean, Multibots traditionally have a hard time in BattleBots. I think Jaeger is a great design for a multibot. I think it's got a lot of promise, but first fight and going up against a bot like P1, that's going to be a tough hill to climb. Okay. Kyle, let's stick with you for the next fight. Uh, kind of odd one. The number 10 ranked Hydra versus the number 33 ranked Gruff. Yeah, uh, let's throw the rankings out of this one. This is actually a pretty, like, this is the most even match so far right um like as far as is force of bots and what they're capable of and and like who could potentially win this thing i'm gonna give it to hydra just based on their last performance but man this could very easily just be a complete squash match for grush they for gruff they could 
smash them into the walls, lift them up, set them on fire. Hydra wants to catch on fire anyway. Um, so let's give it to Hydra, but if Gruff wins, I ain't gonna be surprised. Interesting. On to you, Chris. Uh, your vote here, Hydra versus Gruff? It's it's an interesting matchup. Um, you know, here here's the real question. Can you break Gruff by just putting it up in the air? I don't think so. (laughs) Or do you need to, like... Or do you need to deliver like some kind of high energy weapon into the side of it uh, in order to 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 out it? I I I it's woof. Um, I feel like Hydra's gonna get that initial ground game, uh, you know, advantage on on Gruff, uh, but you know, I think that all Gruff really needs to do is capitalize on a few good lifts. And they might be able to muscle Hydra around. I'm I'm actually going to be the first to diverge from our uh, group think here, and I'm going to say that this one goes to Gruff. Interesting, Lindsay. Your prediction here. <sighs> well, Hydra did beat free shipping in 2019, um, and I would say you know Gruff and free shipping are so- somewhat similar, hmm. very indestructible, uh, and they won by a knockout. But I don't know that you can knock out Gruff by flipping. And if Gruff can get the points for aggression and control, like, let's face it, it's probably not going to get a lot of points for damage. If they can get damage, or sorry, uh, aggression and control, it's going to go to them. I don't I don't know if Hydra can really control. It's just going to go in and flip. Um Duh, I'm still going to say Hydra, though, even though my heart wants it to be gruff. Mm, okay. Yeah, and my thoughts on that, Lindsay, I, I agree with you 100%, but um, I, even if you can't knock gruff out by flipping them a million times, it's still going to count as damage, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Lindsay, let's stick with you for uh, for the next fight. Uh, this is inspired by Mary Catherine Carr. Uh, I'm I'm calling this one the OK Boomer fight. Uh, number seventeen ranked Gigabyte versus number sixty five ranked Captain Shredderator. Two of your favorite robots in the uh, the field. Your uh, prediction here. Dang. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Gigabyte. Okay. I'm going to go with Gigabyte, and that's... I don't really have much more to say, because it's such a crapshoot. I don't know. Meaner than an ex-wife. I love it. Uh, Kyle, your... Uh, no, <laughs> Your prediction uh, here in this fight. <laughs> yeah, it's going to go to Gigabyte. Uh, slightly more powerful motor, bigger teeth, and uh, mildly better driver, Gigabyte. Okay. Chris, your prediction. I think that the winner of this match is the fiber supplement aisle at CVS. (laughs) (laughs) Kidding. Of course. Um, I, uh, I'm going to give this one to, uh, Captain Shredderator. Okay. All right. Um, all right, Chris, let's stick with you for the next one. Unranked rookie bot dragon slayer versus the number, number 47 ranked duck. Uh, well, as Duck is one of my favorite all-time bots, and in my fave five, I will uh, stick with formation and go with Duck. Okay, very good. Kyle, your prediction here. Oh, man. Uh, this is the one that I'm having the hardest time with. 
It's like uh it's like that that heart versus head thing. Um I want Duck to win. Uh unfortunately the only way that I think Duck is going to win is if they break Dragon Slayer's weapon. Um and from what we learned from that team during our interview, I just don't see that happening. I'm going to give it to Dragon Slayer. I think that the rookie's got this one. Okay, nice. What? Okay. <laughs> Lindsay, your prediction. I mean, I could eat my words, but it's hard. It's, I think, uh, hard to predict that the rookie will win because we don't know anything about them really. Uh, and I can see Duck doing a lot of pushing them into the screws and just like a lot of pushing them into the pulverizers, whatnot. Um, so I'm going to say Duck. Okay. Uh, Lindsay, let's stick with you for the main event. Two titans in the sport. Number six ranked Endgame versus number four ranked Witch Doctor. One fun fact from Gil. Endgame has won its last seven matches in a row, while Witch Doctor has won the last four out of its five matches, which in BattleBots world is massive. Um, so these are these are two robots that have been performing really, really well. Obviously, you can see that in their rankings. Your predictions for the main event. This is a such a hard one. I mean, it could be either. Um, I th- I think it's gonna be Witch Doctor. Um, I don't know if that's just because I prefer Witch Doctor and my heart is leading me to say Witch Doctor. Uh, but I really, I really think they're out to prove something this season after, you know, having a tough time, um, you know, with the subpar, uh, what was it? Metal last season. Um, I think that they are really out to, to take it this year. Um, and so I mean, any game has a lot to prove too. They they want to you know come back and defend that championship. So I don't really know. I'm saying Witch Doctor. Okay, Kyle, your prediction. This could be a preview of the championship fight. Yeah. Honestly, this really could. Um, I'm gonna give it to Witch Doctor. I think Mike is a. I mean, he's. There is a good argument to be made that Mike lately is the best driver. In the field right now, Andrea has designed an amazing robot and, um, you know, they work so flawlessly together. I got to give it to them. But, yeah, that could go either way. Mm, well said. Chris, your prediction for the main event? Oh, I, uh, I'm going to I'm going to think I'm going to diverge here. I'm going to I'm going to go with Endgame for this. It's really going to come down to a bit of that ground game. Who is going to uh, kind of win some of those in- initial exchanges? I, uh, I think that Witch Doctor definitely has the capability to maneuver around Endgame and to get that advantage, but, you know, I'm going to give that first exchange to Endgame and they're going to capitalize on it and, and, probably, uh, and probably take out Witch Doctor. Mm, okay. Chris, let's stick with you for the YouTube exclusive fight of the week. Uh, one that seems incredibly uh, mismatched, perhaps. Uh, the number 26 ranked Valkyrie versus unranked rookie bot Triple Crown from veteran builder Todd Mendenhall. Your prediction on the YouTube exclusive fight. I think that this is going to be a Valkyrie match. (laughs) Okay. Lindsay, your prediction. Uh, I have a feeling this will be nearly as short as Retrograde versus Rampage, and we'll go to Valkyrie. Kyle, take us home. Your prediction here. 
Hey, Todd. Welcome back to BattleBots. We're going to throw you into the arena with the most destructive bot from last year. Have fun with that. Yeah, this one's going to Valkyrie. Like, that's this just seems mean, right? Like, am I wrong here? This seems this seems mean to Todd. What did Todd do to make Greg and Trey mad? What, what happened? Yeah. This does seem really mean. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe he knows something that we don't know, and maybe Triple Crown will have a trick up its sleeve i don't know but i don't think so yeah the, 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 you gotta have a crazy trick to win this fight like especially valkyrie coming off of a loss that's gonna be tough that's gonna be a tough one now you know just sheerly from my own laziness i have not asked greg <laughs> asked greg this question myself but triple crown doesn't even appear on the roster on battlebots.com and i don't know why um who knows? Maybe uh, maybe it's this Valkyrie fight. Uh, but I'd love to, to, to figure it out. Um, but uh, there's a little factoid. There's 63 robots in the field, and 62 of them are on the website. Um, okay, well, uh, good segue here. Uh, wow, I gave myself my own segue. Uh, so after this week's fights, uh, we will have officially seen 59 out of the 63 bots listed on the website uh, this season. Uh, the four robots that we haven't seen yet are the Big Dill, Double Jeopardy, Perfect Phoenix, who we ha- had previously reported will not be um, competing in the competition, but will instead be competing on the as yet unnamed companion show. Um, and our friends from New York City, Smee. Uh, so those four have not appeared yet. Uh, I'll continue to uh, up- update this list as we get closer to the round of 32. All right, uh, that wicks, uh, wraps up this week's edition of Snap Decisions. Look for our post on Facebook later today to send us your predictions uh, for this week's fights. After the break, our interview with Lucy Dew, sponsored by Max Amps. This interview is brought to you by MaxAmps and the company's new exclusive line of combat robotics batteries called Max Combat. Max Combat battery packs are built in the U.S. and designed for both durability and performance for combat robotics. Max Combat batteries come with custom wraps, including your team's logo, internal hard skins for extra protection, puncture-resistant wire sleeves, and a custom metal Max box for charging and storage. Check out the Max Combat section at MaxAmps.com. This week on the podcast, we have a very special first-time guest, Hot Leaf Juice Captain and Sable's team member, Lucy Dew. Lucy is a mechanical engineer who got her bachelor's and master's degrees at MIT, went to work for NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory before returning to MIT to earn her PhD. Her research currently focuses on the field of biomechatronics, which studies ways to merge people with machines. Combat robotics fans know Lucy for Hot Leaf Juice, a 12-pound undercutter that she built last year and dominated with at Norwalk Havoc, taking home two first-place finishes in qualifiers before winning the Golden Brett and $12,000 cash at the Norwalk Havoc Finals in December. She's competed on every season of BattleBots to date, the reboot, starting with the legendary Team JACD in 2015, and helping launch Team Sables the following year. We're looking forward to getting into all of these topics in the hour ahead. So welcome to the show, Lucy. Yay, thank you. Thanks for having me. 
I am so happy that you're here. Um, this is a interview that we have really been looking forward to. We are such huge fans of Hot Leaf Juice and really just that robot is so tough. It's so durable. It's so like well-made and well-engineered that, um, you know, we've been just really, really big fans um, of it at Norwalk Havoc. And I'm so glad that we got so many listener questions about, um, about the robot too, because I feel like it's really captured the imagination of combat robotics fans um, who also turned to uh, to Norwalk, which is a pretty pretty hardcore bunch, I would say. Um, so that's that's really cool. Um, Lucy, I would love to start by um, getting your introduction to engineering. Um, you've done like some pretty uh, deep engineering for the last 10 or 12 years through your work at MIT. And I would love to kind of just go all the way back to the beginning and understand how you first got interested in engineering and, and when you decided that uh, this was like a life path for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so my dad was an engineer. He's actually a mechanical engineer. Um, and he always wanted me or my sister to become engineers. Um, and so my sister became a doctor, not engineer. Um, but I, I suppose that's fine. Um, and But he always had hopes of me being an engineer. And we both grew up really, really liking math and science. Um, but because it was something my dad wanted for me, um, I was very adamantly against becoming an engineer. Um, so in high school, I ended up joining my uh, science Olympiad and my high school's first robotics team. Um, you know, a great start to trying not to be an engineer. And um, yeah, I guess I I stayed in my first robotics team for four years. I drove our robot for three of them. um, And I I spent like every waking moment outside of school working on my first robot. Um, So then when I I went to college, I applied to a bunch of colleges and only got into um, like technical schools. Um, so I, I went to MIT and I was like, I, I'm going to not be an engineer. And then that's what I told my dad. Uh, I'm going to be a scientist because that's different. Um, and at MIT, there's some like general institute requirements that everybody has to take. And they're, they're basically math and science classes. Um, so I took the general bio class, chem- chemistry class and physics classes. And I was like, wow, normal science kind of sucks. Um, in, in my opinion, I, they are actually great, but, um, for me, it was, it was all too theoretical and, um, I really liked to be able to apply the science to something useful and something tangible. Um, so then my next step of defiance was to declare aerospace engineering, um, because my dad wanted me to be a mechanical engineer. Um, and so aerospace was extremely different, which is really in practical cases, not always. Um, but I've always loved space. Um, space and NASA has always been really cool. There's like a part of me that has always wanted to be an astronaut. So maybe that'll be true someday. Um, and so I did, after my freshman year, I did, I worked in a research lab um, in Germany in aerospace. And then I ended up writing some code the whole time and came back and was like, you know, I think I just want to build stuff. Uh, so I came back and immediately switched to mechanical engineering, what my dad predicted I would do years <laughs> ago. Um, so yeah. in the end, I gave up 
um, I became exactly what my dad wanted me to. <laughs> that's okay. Um, I, I feel like I feel like one of the superpowers that engineers have, uh, especially the engineers that we interview on the show, you know, combat robotics engineers, um, are that they can build things like build anything, which I just I don't know. It, it just I look at something like hot leaf juice and I'm like, I don't even know where I'd start. And like, it's kind of cool that you can think of something and work your way through a problem and build it. And I, I just I find that so cool. Um, and um, and, and yeah, I mean, like I, I was I was reading in your your recent profile um, uh, from MIT that um, like building and making is really important to you, kind of like the the practical side of engineering. Can you talk a little bit more about that and like um, how that desire to build new things really kind of flows through your your work as an engineer? So I think maybe this is another like deep seated childhood thing. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, I was growing up and I, I would be like, oh, I really want that. I don't know, dress or that toy or that robot. And my parents would be like, no, you can't get that. Um, but like, then I would be like, okay, well, well, I want it. So I guess the next option is to make it. Um, and so I think through that whole process, I eventually got into this whole scheme of, well, if I can't have it, I can make that. Um, and the more resources and skills I picked up, the more things I was able to make. So even now, like, even if it's food, if it's clothing, if it's robots, if it's a cool gadget, like, I've somehow trained myself into this mentality of, well, I can make that. Um, and I think with, with school and with practice, um, you kind of, with engineering, you learn how to break down the things that you see into tangible um, kind of bite-sized things that you can make. That's really cool. I feel like like MIT is such a good home for for building things, you know, like there are so many cool maker spaces and you have access to so many cool machines, you know, can you talk about, um, by, about making things at MIT? Like, I, I feel like w when I think of it in my mind, I feel like if you can dream it up, there is probably a machine on campus that will help you build it, you know, like, or at least the people who know how to build that, like, is that accurate? Is MIT kind of like the, um, like, uh, I guess, panacea for, for makers? Mm -hmm. um, yes and no. Um, MIT is big and has vast, vast resources. Um, the number of instruments and the range of instruments and tools available to make stuff, test stuff, measure things is, is very wide-ranging. Um, however, a lot of things are in different pockets at MIT. Um, so like different labs, different makerspaces, and different people control these different places. Um, and there's a bit of a culture change. So I've now been at MIT for, for over 10 years um, with a two-year gap in the middle. But um, MIT has changed a little bit in the making culture. It's gotten better, in my opinion. I think it's a little bit more widespread. Um, and for a while, it was difficult. You kind of have to know the right people to get into the right pockets to find all of these tools. And it was kind of a like a scavenger hunt um, to be able to get access to stuff. Um, it's a little bit easier now. Um, things are slightly more centralized, but 
it still helps. Like I think I have a pretty good feel for where different resources are on campus, but that's largely due to the fact that I've been here for so long that I know a lot of people. Um, but there is a pretty good making culture here. I think um, it's definitely not the only one um, in a university context, but there's one thing that I heard someone say that I think is very true is um, at MIT, you should never have to pay for your own personal project. Um, there's always, there's so many opportunities for you to apply for funding as a student. And like you, if you can dream of something, you can find somebody to pay for it. Um, and that's, that's kind of a really special thing here. That's really cool. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about this, this two year gap um, in between your, your kind of two chapters of your MIT journey um, at NASA. And uh, I'd love to, to hear as much as you're allowed to say um, more about the projects that you worked on or the projects that you worked on there. Um, and yeah, I mean, like there's I feel like there's such a crossover between people who love space projects and battle bots, um, especially people like, you know, um, Matt Spurke, you know, working at NASA now and stuff. Um, you know, can you tell us more about, about what you were working on at, at JPL? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I worked in a section that was dedicated mostly to like smaller spacecraft. So a lot of the projects we worked on were um, like CubeSats or Earth orbit satellites that do um, like climate science. And I worked in a group called the Mechatronics Group. Um, so we did a lot of actuators um, and stuff like that, uh, mechanisms. And so the projects I worked on, one is called SWAT. It stands for Surface Water Ocean Topography. Um, it was initially supposed to launch in 2020, but is now slated for later this year. We'll see if that actually happens. Um, but I worked on some actuators that are actually both in SWAT and another one called NISAR. Um, and I actually forgot what that acronym stood for. Um, but that one is slated to launch next year out of India. Um, but basically it's the same actuator that is used in both of these. Um, it has a, a spur gear in line with um, harmonic drive and then a brushless motor. Um, but it's, it's supposed they, both of these satellites have um, instruments on um, unfolding booms. And then when the booms unfold, they need to be latched and that's what the actuator is for. Um, so I had, I think it was like 13 or something actuators that go on both of these uh, that I had to build, figure out the procedure to build properly, um, grease all of the components and the gear train, and then do all of the thermal testing for them. That's so amazing. Um, do you think like you would go back to NASA, I guess, after you're in your PhD or have you have you thought I guess kind of what you're interested in doing, you know, once once you earn your your graduate degree. Um, I thought about it a little bit. Um, I'm not opposed to going back to JPL or NASA, um, but I think I I do like the East Coast, so I it's got to be a whether or not I want to move to California again. Um, but I think the type of environment I would like to work for in is kind of an R&D, so some kind of research and development. Um, I enjoy kind of working on new technology development and 
less so of product development. So it would have to be in some industry R&D national lab situation. Um, or the slight branch is um, I consider doing academia because I, I do really like teaching. So teaching at some place that um, is like maybe Olin or Harvey Mudd, that kind of the school itself focuses less on research and more on um, curriculum design and educating students um, might be something that I want to do. But opportunities there are more sparse. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to, to learn a little bit more about your current research in biomechatronics. Um, I didn't know that this was a word until this week, and I, I love saying it now, so I'll just keep saying it. I think it's great. Um, for someone who doesn't know what it is, uh, i.e. me last week, what is biomechatronics? Um, I don't know if it's an official word or if it's a word that my advisor coined when he ma- named the lab, um, but it's Basically, our lab works on combining um, biology or mimicking biology in order to um, and and builds robots, studies robots to kind of combine biology and robots. So um, we mostly do human body stuff. Um, So we build prosthetics, uh, exoskeletons, and then kind of study the interface between your robotic prosthetic and your human body and how to figure out how to get them to talk to each other properly. Got it. Very cool. All right. So I have a series of kind of annoying questions, but um, I don't know. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Um, so like how many years do you think it's going to be before I can buy a recreational exoskeleton and it'll like, um, I don't know, climb Mount Everest for me or something and I can just uh, get really bundled up. You know, like I feel like, um, I, I like, and it's important. It's very important that like, you know, exoskeletons and kind of like this cutting edge research of fusing people with machines like helps out, you know, people who've lost a limb or who can't walk. Um, but I'm curious, like kind of the commercial kind of recreational applications of it, you know, like, do you think we're going to be able to buy like super strong backpacks and I don't know, like, uh, or is, can I, can I get a robot to do the walking for me and stuff, uh, like in our lifetime, I would love to get your thoughts. Oh man. Um, it's hard to predict cause I think we're, we are a little bit out from that, uh, I think partially right now is because the funding is comes from I think right now a lot of like army and military use, so not necessarily for uh, like commercialization, um, but also working with anything that interfaces with human body. There's a lot of requirements and safety considerations that have to be put in place. So it's sometimes that makes it difficult. Like, for example, your exoskeleton cannot overpower your human strength because otherwise you risk the robot breaking you. Um, And for safety reasons, you should always be able to overpower your robot in some way, Um, which then makes it difficult for your robot to be super powerful. So you have to find some way to to get it to be super powerful without, um, like, under a malfunction, having it break you. Um, So that's difficult. Um, I think another thing is miniaturization. That word's hard to say. Um, Because I think a lot of electric boaters, and as the 
technology progresses, it's getting easier. But um, with electric motors right now, they're still kind of bulky to put. Um, and like Iron Man, the Iron Man suit is like the classic exoskeleton or prosthesis, as Tony Stark may say. Um, it's There's so many small actuators in there. Uh, and having actuators that powerful and that small currently doesn't quite exist. The technology is not quite there. So as that develops, I think having exoskeletons and prostheses that are powerful enough gets more and more feasible. But the research there needs to progress a little bit more, as well as battery um, technology. So it's getting there. It's getting there. So maybe lifetime, but it's my guess is probably not really in the next 10 years and definitely not affordable. Right. Right. Um, I, I feel like it's, it's like also kind of a common storyline in science fiction of people who voluntarily um, augment their bodies with, with robotic parts. Like I, like I read this article from a couple of years ago of somebody who embedded like an RFID reader under their skin. And like, it was kind of half art project, half like um, science experiment, you know? Um, and I've read that, I don't know, like maybe it's going to be our next generational divide. Like we're going to be yelling at our grandkids like, Oh, don't, don't, don't t- cut off your hand. That doesn't make any sense. You know, like, uh, like, do you, <laughs> do, do you ever think about that kind of stuff? Like, I mean, is that, um, is that also like, an area of, of research or is that completely <laughs> not going to happen, I guess? Um, I mean, it is sort of, um, I think right now, mostly pe- you talk about people or mostly the research is for people who have had their limbs or body parts removed forcibly, um, non-vol- non-voluntarily, but um, it, the biggest problem i think right now that needs to be solved is how to interface the robot with the human and then how they talk to each other um, which is definitely something that a lot of research labs um are doing and even companies i mean i think elon musk has a company um, called Neuralink that is trying to get you know human brain to control things on your phone um but the interface is very difficult. So there's there's the physical interface. So in our lab, there's a portion um, of the people in my lab that work on um, sockets specifically. And so a socket is the thing that you put your residual limb into um, that attaches to your prosthetic device. Um, so it's it's basically like wearing a shoe on the end of your prosthetic or your residual limb. And if we think about it, even with shoes, we have a hard time finding shoes that are comfortable. Um, Everybody has different sized feet, different shaped feet. Um, So certain shoes, like almost everybody in the world has gotten a blister from a shoe at some point. And like we've been making shoes for years and years and years, and we still can't get that right. Um, And our feet are meant to have our entire weight on it. But our residual limbs, so like the middle of your leg, is not supposed to have like your entire weight on it. The skin there is not really meant built to have that either. And so it makes the problem even more difficult. Um, and it's taking a bunch of extra side loads as you walk as well. Um, so, so the physical um, interface is a big problem um, that people are working on. 
And then there's also the, the nerve talking problem, which also there's a portion of people in my lab that are working on different weight, like different levels of invasiveness to measure, um, to kind of see how you can control your prosthetic. So if, if you can put little sensors on your skin and then based on how you move your muscles, it'll move your prosthetic. Um, or there's more invasive ways like Elon Musk's, Musk's um, Neuralink that kind of reads your brain's synapses um, and everything in between, I think, is getting studied. That's really interesting. Um, I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your current research in the lab too, like a, around this um, kind of ankle, robotic ankle. Can you tell us a little bit more about, about that project? Um, so I'm working on building a prosthetic ankle, a robotic ankle. Um, so my lab, in, for the hardware people, we mostly specialize in building different types of ankles with different types of transmissions. Um, and a lot of these ankles will have very specific use cases. Um, and so the one that I'm building for is more like a day-to-day -day type of ankle. Um, it's meant to be able to have the power to provide um, like an app, a certain a person to walk um, comfortably up to like a brisk walk speed and provide the full push-off power for that. Um, and the idea for the design, um, we're trying to use a cycloidal gearbox, um, custom design to make it as small and compact and lightweight as possible, um, in line basically where your ankle joint is. And the benefit of this design is that the whole thing can be a pretty small and short package. Um, currently, the only commercial powered ankle device is called the Empower. Um, it's it also officially came out of my lab a few years ago. And um, my advisor wears it to work every time he comes into lab. Um, but that device is relatively tall. So you either have to be a pretty tall person and your residual limb has to be pretty short for you to actually be able to wear it. So what we found is that it's actually pretty difficult for us to find test subjects that can fit the device. So um, in order to find, have a device, a powered device that more people can use, it needs to be smaller, it needs to be shorter. Um, and so a lot of the work that we do is in trying to find smaller packaging solutions that are just as powerful for um, people. And we're also trying to make it so that this design can kind of be, um, it's kind of like a parametric design. You take the same general architecture of the design and then you can scale it to people of different sizes. So say that I'm a smaller person than average. Um, I don't need quite as much energy or quite as much torque um, to walk. And maybe I like to walk really slow. So I don't need that much power. Um, then you can like plug in the numbers and some kind of math system will output the ideal gear ratio and like shape of the spring and the foot um, so that then you have a custom designed, then I have a custom designed device for me. Because if I don't need that much power, I don't need extra stuff in my ankle that makes it heavier, um, if that makes sense. So that way we can kind of scale designs based on people's needs. That's really amazing. 
Um, I, I find this area of research so incredibly interesting and, um, I don't know. I, I just, I think it's really cool that there are so many engineers who are building on BattleBots who are also building stuff for people. Um, you know, like I think of the kind of Andrea Galatelys of the world, um, and, uh, you know, Aaron Hill, like out in California, who's, you know, building kind of medical devices and using their engineering skills for that. Um, so I think it's such an important field of research. And I don't know, I'm looking forward to, uh, to <laughs> you know, using this, I guess, when, when I get old. So, uh, so that's great. Um, I would love to transition to combat robotics um, a little bit. I don't know, it just kind of seems like building combat robots is like easy, I guess, if you know how to build <laughs> robotic ankles, but um, like, uh, I'd love to hear about how you got started in combat robotics. Like, were you a big fan of BattleBots, like on the original run? Um, did you like find out about it through your friend group? Like, how did you get introduced to the sport and how'd you get onto like your first team? Um, well, I uh, am slightly ashamed to admit that I did not actually watch the old Comedy Central BattleBots much. Uh, growing up, I we didn't have cable, and I was not really able to watch it. Um, but I did know that it existed. Um, and I think when I was... It happened to be when I was in grad school at MIT, um, I became friends with Jameson and Charles um, and Dane and Adam, so the team jacked uh, people of Overhaul, and I happened to be friends with them when they were applying for BattleBots um, the first time when it got brought back on ABC. And I think initially they, the team was just the four of them. Uh, and I think partway through the build season, they realized they needed more help and needed more hands. Uh, building a BattleBot is a lot of work, especially if people supposedly have full-time jobs. So um, a group of us got added to the team and I was lucky enough to be one of them. Uh, so that's kind of how I got my start. Um, and then after that, I built a Beetleweight, like a Sportsman 30, um, went on to build Sawblaze. So that's kind of how I started. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, uh, so I have so many questions about hot leaf juice, but um, the fans ended up asking all of them. So I'm not going to ask them. But I want to ask you one last question before we turn it over to the listeners. Um, for someone who hasn't seen it yet, can you describe Hot Leaf Juice? Just to kind of set the stage for all of the uh, questions that are about to come. Um, hot Leaf Juice is a four-wheel drive, like big wheels, kind of monster truck wheel feel, um, undercutter. Uh, I guess it's naturally not, the blade isn't that low for an undercutter, but I think it's still considered... Undercutter, it's relatively square, but has a little bit of a point in the front. Um, has a big aluminum front that takes a beating. It's very fast, pretty agile. Um, uh, doesn't hit extremely hard, but is very robust, as it turns out. Very cool. Perfect segue into uh, to our listener questions. So take it away. Uh, what is this, Lindsay? No, this one's going to be me, I believe. Oh, Kyle. Take it away, Kyle. <laughs> All right. Will do. All right. All right. So our first listener question is from Mammoth team member Brandon Bennett Young, who runs a bunch of robots at the East Coast uh, Combat Robotics Circuit. He writes, 
Hey Lucy, love the name choice for Hot Leaf Juice. Please tell me about your robotics research. It sounds super cool. You pretty much already did all that for us. We appreciate it. Um, so his next question was, what's your favorite robot that you've been able to work on so far? Um, that's a hard one. Uh, I think it'll have to be Hot Leaf Juice. Um, it's part of my favorite part is just, it's pretty simple. The, the build of it is very simple. There's tons of extra space in the middle. It's not like I'm, you know, trying to fit tiny things in. So it's relatively easy to work on. Um, which I think was part of our goal when we designed it. Um, and it it's a lot of fun to run. It, it goes fast and does really good donuts. So, um. <laughs> and it wins, you know, it's kind of nice. Yeah, and it's always fun yeah. when they win. Yeah, it's, it's fun when they win. <laughs> um, his next question is, are there any new ideas for a machine in a different weight class? I've tossed around a couple. I was going to do um, like using a finger tech beater, but then kind of in the wrong axis. Ooh. Uh, but somebody from, I think from Team Shredder actually did that a few Norwalks ago. Yeah, um, as a bit of a but, joke, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that was kind of an idea for a beetle that I was throwing around. But um, so far, nothing too concrete that I've decided on. All right. Well, next question is from Mario Cast. Uh, Mario says, hey, Lucy, congratulations on Hot Leaf Juice winning last year's 12-pound division at Norwalk. What was your design process on Hot Leaf Juice? Um, let's see. Thinking back, I think we started with um, David's only requirement. He was like, I'll drive the robot, but it needs to have four wheels. So I was like, all right, it's got to have four wheels. That's kind of a requirement. So um that kind of set up the shape of the robot for us um and i think i had never built an undercutter before um so i wanted to try something um and it seemed fun big horizontal spinner go burr um and i think we just started with deciding how big the blade should be you know we went with something that we thought was maybe reasonable um, and then kind of drew out general shapes in CAD. Um, and then for the rest of like choosing motors, um, choosing speed controllers, we tried to guess based on what we thought other people ran in the 12 pound weight class. Uh, we didn't always, neither of us had built 12 pound robots before, so we weren't really sure where to start. Um, but in terms of battery voltage, uh, we didn't want to do too crazy, nothing too powerful nothing too out there because we one of the goals that we had was that we just wanted it to work we wanted to be able to run the robot multiple events without having to completely rebuild every time um which i guess i guess that was that ended up working out um but i think our goal was robustness so we we kind of catered everything to that we didn't try to push any ridiculous limits um as we did the design. Um, so Mario's next question is a little bit behind the curtain Z. Can you reveal what type of weapon slash drivetrain powers hot leaf juice? Yeah. Um, so the weapon motor is like a hobby King SK three. Um, it's a 30, uh, it's a 50, 45. Um, 
and then we actually geared it for torque a little bit and I can't remember why we did I think we picked a tip speed that we thought seemed reasonable and then found some motor that was in stock on Hobby King um, about roughly the size and then went with that um, and then we slightly oversized our belt we use a belt that's probably a little bit too big it's a 3L belt but that's okay um, and then for the drivetrain, which we do love, uh, we have 3530 SK3s into a 20 to 1 weighing box. Um, yeah, they work great. I mean, clearly, yeah. <laughs> um, so Mario's last question is, what's your advice on designing a 12-pound bot? I think the biggest advice I have is uh, just don't design anything too crazy. Like get it to work first and then you can start tweaking things. Um, so don't, you know, don't get too greedy when you're trying to go for like tip speed, hitting hard, at least not at first. You can, you can slowly get more greedy over time. But I think what I've witnessed from combat robotics over the last few years of doing it is just robustness and being able to survive your matches goes so much further. Um, a lot of the time. I mean, that's great advice for a lot of things, not just combat <laughs> robotics, honestly. That's true. Um, all right. So next question comes from Ryan McKenzie. Uh, so he asks, how did you wind up collaborating with David Jin for Hot Leaf Juice? Um, so David is also from the Boston area. Um, we're really good friends. He, I think I had not built a smaller weight class like non-BattleBots robot in a while and he was like you should build again and you should go and compete at Norwalk and the activation energy was always like a little bit too high um, for me to do it and I think I also don't love working on stuff alone I have a lot more fun working with people so he was like well what if I built one with you or like what if I drove it would you build something um, so he basically convinced me to build um, a 12 pound and we picked 12 pound weight class because neither of us have really done it before. And it was a little bit economically better than trying to do thirties um, right off the bat. So um, that's kind of how it started. Right on, right on. All right. So our next question comes from Andrew Freitag. Um, he says, Hey Lucy, being pit neighbors with you in July was awesome. Uh, how do you plan on immortalizing that legendary aluminum billet in the front of Hot Leaf Juice? Ah, yes. Um, I think I still want to figure out where I want to put it, um, but I think I want to epoxy, cast it in epoxy so that um, all the sharp edges are covered and it'll be safe, um, but nicely on display for something. So I don't know if I'm going to put it in like a, you know, the top of a nightstand or just make it a big block to display on a shelf. Um, not entirely sure yet, but definitely epoxy cast it. Um, oh, and we also had, um, sorry, <laughs> we had uh, the people, um, the builders that had made marks on the billet with their robots sign it. So then we can forever immortalize their signatures. Yes, I love that. <laughs> um, all right, so our next question comes from Pain Train team member Alex Peza, who runs the Beetleweight Yes Chef at Norwalk Havoc. 
He wants to know, how do you feel about potentially starting a new meta in the 12-pound bracket with uh, there already being some hot leaf juice clones being developed and designed? Um, well, I I guess I'm very flattered. Uh, imitation is the, the finest form of flattery, I suppose. Um, I'm not really sure that it's a new meta. I don't know if undercutters really are a consistent meta, but... Um, I suppose it is really flattering and I'd love to see what people bring this year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. The 12 pound division uh, is, is definitely going to be interesting next year for sure. Um, all right. So our next question comes from P1 team member, Anthony D'Ambrosio, who runs the Beetleweight Blackbird at Norwalk Havoc. He writes, Hey Lucy, as a woman in the robotics field and your success in combat robotics, you've become an inspiration to younger girl fans, my daughter included. Uh, what do you think can do more? Uh, what do you think we could do to inspire more girls interested in STEM and combat robotics? I guess uh, I would do everything that you can to support them. Um, so they are going to face probably a lot of adversity, just like anybody that's a minority in anything they're trying to do. Um, and as they do it, they're going to see a lot of people that don't look like them. And inevitably, at some point, maybe a failure happens or, you know, at some point you just feel so alone and they may want to give up. Um, and that's the critical point where you as a friend or a parent, um, it's important for you to support them through times like that. Um, like that's, those are the moments that really, the pivotal moments that make them give up or stay and fight. Um, and I think the more people that you can, support through times like that the more they will be and the less of a minority they will be eventually um so i think that's incredibly important um and then also for me uh frc first robotics stuff fll things for middle school and high school students were always really important um i know with covid it's been a little bit harder to be on teams like that but Hopefully they'll start up again um, as, as the COVID situation hopefully figures out. Um, but it's it's the constant encouragement, even when they almost want to give up, that matters. Hey, Lucy, this is Chris. I have a question here from Lindsay Rico, uh, who was in the audience of the Norwalk Havoc uh, in December. And she writes, hey, Lucy, congrats on your win. And thank you for signing my book. What are uh, what are your future plans for the sport? And if you decide to build your own battle bot, what would you design? Ooh, um, well, future plans. I think I'm definitely gonna keep bringing back hot leaf juice for a while. Um, and I was considering building something for um, maybe the three pound class, but haven't really decided yet. Um, so we'll see how that goes. No, no promises. Um, and then for building a battle bot, um, it's hard to say. I think, right, I've always loved control bots before, also slightly biased from working on Sawblaze. Um, but I think now with building, um, Hot Leaf Juice, undercutters are slowly becoming more and more special to me. Uh, so potentially an undercutter. So I have a, a related question here from Richard Sum. Uh, his first question is, would you ever consider branching off and starting your own team? 
Um, and, you know, he actually goes on to write, uh, who would you rather have as your first match? Um, uh, you know, former teammate uh, Dave or uh, Jameson? And from that, what would you do to prepare to destroy them? Oh, man. Um, so build starting my own BattleBots team uh, is a lot of work. Having been on two new teams before, uh, it requires a lot of stars to align. So I think it would the time would have to be right. I would have to have the right people around me and the ability to get enough money for that. So we'll see. A lot of things have to work out for that. Um, in terms of who I would like to fight, uh, definitely neither of them. Uh, I think both Robot and Sawblades are both pretty scary robots. Um, potentially hard to prepare for. Um, having worked on them myself, I know that Sawblaze's forks and ground game are pretty formidable. Uh, so it would, I would have to have a lot of preparation to be able to make sure I win the ground game there. Um, and then still have enough armor to protect the top. For Robot, also really hard to prepare for, uh, since they're both, they're a modular robot and they can do, they can be an undercutter or a vert, uh, really hard to prepare for and and playing the modular game is also a whole time so i would like to not fight either of them it's a pretty good answer and you know it, it seems like we've had uh, a lot of listeners who are on the same wavelength because we have one more question which was very similar from chris horry who wanted to know what you'd bring to BattleBots if you captained your own team so we'll actually skip that and we'll go on to the second part of his question which I don't know if it's an inside joke. Uh, so he labeled it as totally different topic. Cake doneness tester. <laughs> um, so that was a, it must have been on my portfolio website somewhere, but um, that was a class project that I did back in the first time I was in grad school. Um, it was for a system identification, like, measurement class where the project that our group chose to do was um, basically you would perturb some the whole project is based off of like perturbing something measuring its response to the perturbations and then determining some difference and so for us I guess we decided to uh, bake cakes and so part through baking the baking process it would measure the cake's response to get it getting shaken and then uh, decide whether or not the cake was done. So the response of cake batter would obviously be very different from a fully baked cake. Um, and that was the idea. So that's, that was that project. Uh, I, see, I didn't, I had no idea the context because if I had known that a cake done this tester was an actual job that I could have had, I would have killed my guidance counselor. <laughs> Oh, that does sound like a great job. I would also love to apply for that job. I love cake. <laughs> I can't tell if this one's done enough. Can you give me another one? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so we have a question here from Norwalk Havoc statistician and friend of the show, Gil Hova, who writes, Hi, Lucy. It's been awesome seeing Hot Leaf Juice dominate the 12-pound category. Regarding Sawblaze, what contribution to the bot or role uh, you played in its design are you most proud of? Um, let's see. Most proud of is... Okay, there's two. I think they're they're kind of tied. 
Um, so one of the first one is I, for the first few years on Sawblaze, I did the flamethrower development on the green flame. And I still stand by that the 2018 flamethrower was the best flamethrower. At that point, we still had it mounted on the arm. It looked like a fire-breathing dragon. It was super cool. Um, and the fire, the greenness of the fire was just such a nice shade. Um, but I, I spent a lot of, um, John Mayo and I, uh, used to live like in a luxury apartment with a balcony and we used to do flamethrower testing off of that into like the pool area after it was closed and we kind of got yelled at by our neighbors sometimes, but you know, that's fine. Um, but it was a lot of fun doing the testing and development for the early years of the flamethrower, um, just cause Turns out we found out that flamethrowers are really difficult sometimes and pretty finicky. So it took a lot of tweaking and testing to get it to work. Um, and then more recently, I've done some uh, like research development work on the forks uh, to improve Sawblaze ground game. So that was kind of fun to, to set up kind of PhD not quite PhD, but, you know, scientific experiments to figure out what's the best way to win the ground game. Hey, Lucy, this is Lindsay. And man, I mean, those forks this season are just like on another level. So whatever, whatever research you're doing, it's I'd say it's definitely working. Um, so we have some good Sawblaze related questions from BattleBot superfan Alexander Archer, who wants to know, uh, so, you know, uh, these may get a little spoilery, so feel free to say. Um, so I think with 2-0, not necessarily, but uh, it's looking pretty good. Uh, but you never really know what the selection committee, what they come up with. Um, and I think we're the track record for top 10 seed over the last couple of years was, was pretty good for Sable. So fingers, we, at this point in the season, fingers crossed, um, that we are definitely hoping that that would be the case, but all hangs in the next fight. Uh, any listener of this show knows that Sawblaze is my favorite bot of all time. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed for you all too. Um, so Jameson mentioned on Sawblaze's post-fight report after the Mad Catter fight that the team is on its last spare weapon pulley. Uh, so Alexander wants to know, why doesn't the team have like eight weapon pulleys that you can swap out between fights just to keep it pristine? Um, mostly because of money. Uh, I think we had a sponsor uh, make Southwest Plastics um, make a few weapon pulleys for us. And I think over the last couple of years, we, I think we must have ran the same similar weapon pulleys over the uh, last season. But last season, we didn't quite hit as hard um, or as many times. So we didn't really realize that it would be something that we might break every fight. So during the after the first two fights, we realized that um, the amount of spares that we allotted for it wasn't enough, and we actually had to make a slight design change so that we wouldn't keep breaking it every fight. Um, but it was mostly because we we ended up hitting harder than we thought that we were going to. Um, but it would be nice to have eight spares, one for every fight, 
but for monetary reasons and sometimes it feels a little bit bad if you end up with a bunch of spares that you never used so it's kind of the reason why we don't quite have eight spares of everything that makes sense to me. Um, Alexander goes on to ask, how would Sawblaze fare against Scorpios since they're both similar in design? I really would love to see that fight so that this particular BattleBots debate can be put to rest. <laughs> um, I can't really say for sure. Uh, again, I think with most Sawblaze fights, it comes down to who wins the ground game best. So if that does happen, fingers crossed that the R&D I did on the fork tips works against Scorpios. Uh, so his next question is, do other types of weapons like horizontal spinners, flippers, and hammers have any place in this meta era of vertical spinners and hammer saws? I know Ray Billing spoke about this a little bit when he gave the speech about whether or not Tombstone is becoming an outdated bot. So he wants to know your thoughts on the meta. Um, I think there's a place, I think at least while BattleBots is a TV show as well. It's a lot more fun to see a variety of robots. Um, we do sometimes get frustrated on Sawblaze um, based just on the number of four-wheel dri four wheel drive vertical spinners that do a lot of winning. Um, but I think there is a place for other robots and it would be really cool and it often is very cool to see them do well. Um, like, you know, Hydra always has historically done really well, um, and their flipper. Um, Sawways, hopefully, we see do well, um, and it's a diff different type of robot. So I think there's room for them in the meta, and I, I hope that it's, it doesn't always, you know, it's not an exciting show if everybody looks the same. So I think there's a place for it. Agreed, agreed. All right, so we have some good questions here from Sean Peterson. His first is, what is your favorite match from the original run of BattleBots and the reboot? Um, huh. So uh, I said this a little bit earlier. I didn't actually watch the original run, so um, unfortunately can't answer that question. Um, for the reboot... Um... I might have to say, oh no, that's really lame. It must be really lame if I said the Sawblades versus Mad Catter fight. That was pretty great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I cannot believe that they kept running for so long, but um, that was a pretty hype fight. I don't think it's lame at all to say that that was your favorite because that is, I think, one of the most intense fights I've ever seen on the show. So it's definitely fair to say that that's your favorite. Um, so uh, his next question is, what is your favorite combat robot that inspired you to build? Well, I didn't actually build any, none of the robots I've built were necessarily inspired by it, but I do love Bronco. Um, I know Bronco hasn't done super great in the more recent seasons, but um, it. I love that it was, you know, not a spinner. It was unique. It threw robots in the air. It was always so much fun to watch. Um, so I, since coming on the ABC reboot, I kind of always loved uh, Bronco. And uh, his last question is, what is your favorite kind of robot out of all of the robots? Um, well, it used to be control bots. So not necessarily hammer saws. Um, I did 
back when Charles Guan, a little bit before he built Overhaul, he used to have a 30-pounder called Uber Clocker as a 30-pound sportsman. Um, but it was always really fun to watch. Um, he would just grab his opponent and then slam them on the ground repeatedly. Uh, and, you know, the matches would last the whole three minutes and usually, uh, but there, it was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but I think slowly with hot leaf juice, um, going very fast and uh, kind of race car-like, and I think undercutters are slowly making a comeback in my heart. So it's funny that you mentioned Charles Guan because we have another question uh, from Charles Guan himself, who wants to know uh, when BattleBots cosplay reunion. <laughs> uh I guess we'll have to see. I think COVID has made cosplaying and meeting up a little bit difficult, but uh, I don't know, hopefully in the near future. So, okay, wait a second. Was there like a BattleBots cosplay going on where people dress up as bots? Because I did not know that this happened. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it was a few years ago. I forgot what year exactly at Dragon Con, um, but I cosplayed Sawblaze. Um, Cynthia Liu cosplayed Overhaul, and then Hannah Lynn cosplayed um, the Danger 4 robot Road Rash, um, which was in the, that, um, I think it was on a YouTube fight. It was the MIT Rumble with the three MIT robots in 2016. Um, and so it was one Dragon Con where the three of us had dressed up as the respective teams that we were on, um, robots that we were a part of. And uh, that was pretty fun. Um, Yeah, it it was pretty low-key, though. I think we might have worn it to the BattleBots event at DragonCon that year. That's so cool. That is neat. (laughs) Um, All right, so let's cap off this interview with a series of deeply philosophical questions from BattleBots superfan Mary Catherine Carr, who flew out from Texas to go to the Norwalk Havoc finals this year. So that's dedication. Uh, She writes, Lucy, you're amazing. What kind of benders would your fellow teammates on Sawblaze be? And what about uh, you and David Jin? Um, All right, let's see. Um, So I guess I'll start with myself. I think I would be a waterbender. I've always on some level related to Katara. But water kind of represents the flow of everything and life. So um, I think waterbender for myself. Um, James and Go, if you've seen any of his like clips from hero shots for Sawblaze, definitely would be a firebender. Um, I think on our team, Jake Chesson, John Mayo, probably earthbenders. Um, very down-to-earth guys. Uh, Ray Ma, I think, is zen enough to be the airbender um and sam also i would say sam glasner would be a an earthbender as well that's a nice mix and oh and shakti could also be an airbender or waterbender i think he's also pretty zen um and i guess david jinn i would put him as an earthbender also very down to earth very straightforward um very dependable very nice very nice a good a good mixture you got there um 
So what's your favorite part or parts of the sport and which one uh, would you change? Let's see. I think my favorite part is in the builder camaraderie. Um, I think it's really great to be able to see people help each other, um, you know, borrow parts, sell parts to each other, just, you know, give spares to each other to help out in in the event. Um, so, and like the people that I met through Combat Robotics has, have been really great. Um, one thing that I would change, I think to some extent, um, this might have been mentioned earlier with vertical spinners and, and the meta, and I think BattleBots was attempting to try to change the meta a little bit um, with the shelf or the, the upper deck this year. But I think there's, to some extent, there's kind of like a feeling that the designs are converging or the optimal design is converging. Um, so I think some something to kind of keep that from happening, um, maybe. But I don't actually know what the solution to that is. So have to get back to you on that. Yeah, hear you on that. Um, so speaking of hot leaf juice, what is your favorite kind of hot leaf juice to drink? Um, I don't know specifically, but definitely green tea, um, potentially matcha. I do kind of like the slight bitter taste of green tea. And uh, do you have a wise mentor or uncle figure in combat robotics like Iroh? Not necessarily. Um, I think potentially in the beginning, Charles could have acted as one of those. <laughs> um, he had been doing it for a very long time and always had a lot of things to say. And I think at the time it was particularly fitting because he was a, a lab instructor at MIT. So he was very used to imparting knowledge and wisdom upon um, students. Um, so I guess the closest would have been Charles back in the day. All right. And so lastly, the last question we have of this interview uh, is, can you please tell us what do you think? <laughs> what do I think about what? <laughs> Great question. I think it's just uh, going back on the last episode when uh, Chris and Jameson were going back and saying, what do you think? Oh. Um, so you can just a thought on anything, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Robots are cool. Engineering is cool. And being able to see the stuff that you envision become real and tangible is is very cool. And that's what I think. Amen to that. What a fabulous way to, to wrap this up. Thank you so, so much for talking with us, Lucy. It was really, really great to learn a little bit more about you and, you know, how you came up in the sport and, and you know, what, what you're into. So just again, thank you for your time. And we are so looking forward to seeing Hot Leaf Juice and Sawblaze in the Battle Box again soon. Thanks for having me. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we are headed to Elon Musk's reality distortion field, where engineers at Tesla are racing to build a humanoid robot prototype in the next 12 months. On a call last week with investors, Elon Musk said Tesla is not releasing a new car this year 
and will instead focus its R&D efforts on Optimus, the company's new human-shaped robot. He's personally overseeing this project, which he said, quote, has the potential to be more significant than the vehicle business over time. What happens if you don't actually have a labor shortage? I'm not sure what an economy even means at this point. That's what Optimus is about. Um, wow. Okay, where to begin with this? Um, classic, uh, just because we can, does it mean we should argument? Like, uh, I think, and that maybe this is just me personally, but I think that when you are introducing literally world-changing technology, you probably need to spend more than 12 months kind of studying the impact and studying, um, you know, the consequences and doing research on, on what this will mean for the world that you're introducing it to. Um, when you introduce this type of technology too quickly, uh, there is a chance that it can spiral out of control and change things a lot faster than we are capable of dealing with. Uh, so this seems um, misguided to me. Uh, and I don't trust uh, this particular billionaire. Um, not strictly because he's a billionaire, but like I think it's he's given us a lot of reasons to question his judgment over time. So now handing this technology over to someone who literally is just a chaos agent seems like a bad idea. Uh, but what do you guys think? I'm sure it's fine, right? I'm overreacting. I think that it's actually a really great thing. By the way, uh, Robots Around the World Today is sponsored to you by Dogecoin. Dogecoin, <laughs> put all of your money in Dogecoin. <laughs> oh no he got to you too listen all i'm saying is buy the dip <laughs> buy the onion dip buy the ranch dip buy all of the dips <laughs> um i i feel like like one phrase that i hear uh that's very popular among billionaires especially those in silicon valley is uh, you gotta break a couple eggs to make an omelet you know uh, except, you know, in the case of, of um, kind of labor shortage ending, you know, humanoid robots, uh, that's millions of people out of work. You know, like we got to put a couple million people out of work to make an omelet, you guys. So, um, you know, we're going to be having uh, hamburgers made by Optimus and we're going to have, you know, customer service done by Optimus and, uh, you know, even taxi cab drivers driving normal cars that don't even have self-driving capabilities, but it's going to be driven by Optimus, you know? So, uh, yeah, millions of people possibly out of work in the, the coming decade, uh, you know, but, uh, they're the eggs that need to be broken. You, you, you guys. Well, so if, if this happens, does that mean that we are getting a guaranteed minimum income and he's paying for it because now we're all out of jobs? To be fair, like Elon Musk has always supported a universal basic income as a part of his like kind of vision for the future. Um, so, yes, that would be included in his vision for the future. But, you know, Elon does not does not like run the future. He uh, he's just a futurist, I guess you could say. Um, but policy wise, yeah, like he supported Yang. He supports universal basic income. And, and I think it's largely because he wants to automate the trucking industry and he wants to automate 
the you know taxi industry and eventually he wants to automate literally every industry and then we just sit around ordering our tea earl gray hot from our replicators and flying starships through the galaxy uh with warp drives designed by tesla and uh you know just uh just exploring space that's what he wants us all to do or we're just you know in a uh, cyberpunk dystopia where we're all living in sewers while uh, a race of automatons are doing everyday jobs catering to a small uh, but uh, very influential uh, party of billionaires who have uh, kind of dominated the planet and live luxuries, lu- live a luck- luxury that we'll never understand. Um, there's one last shark to jump, and that is a yacht that goes into a yacht that goes into a yacht. <laughs> Nobody's done that one yet, and we're almost there. So, Chris, uh, to to your point, there is a reason that the Cybertruck's bed can handle a heavy machine gun mount and uh, why it has bulletproof glass. Just saying, there's a reason for that. Right, because one of the uh, one of the initial markets that it's going into is the United States. Where if you're not heavily armed at this point, you're the only one. Well, no, I'm just saying that it seems like Elon is preparing for both versions of the future, right? The uh, the Mad Max and also the Star Trek versions of the future. Right, right. I wonder which one will come true with, uh, you know, an open-minded society. Hey, listen. You know, uh, in Star Trek, they had World War Three, and the entire planet was pretty much nuked before we got to Utopia phase, so... Even Star Trek was a little Mad Max before it became we'll, Star Trek. We'll, we'll still have value, you know, to, to the billionaires. You know, we'll, we'll we'll be able to supply them with valuable organs that they haven't been able to replicate yet. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to want the ones grown in pigs. They're going to want the ones grown in me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's like the, the little blood boy from Silicon Valley. We'll all just be little blood people hooked up to an uh, IV. Give our blood right to them. Uh, I have uh, I have a cough. Can you you find my <laughs> lung boy? I need new <laughs> lungs to swap out for the day. I got to park my yacht in my other yacht and then have that brought to my third yacht. I'll, this just makes me want to go live in a tent like in the woods. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> They can't build robots that will take over society if we all move into the woods. By the dip. And that's about it for us today, folks. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. Thanks, Nicole, for editing. Thanks, Nicole. I'm buying the queso dip. <laughs> <laughs>